Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. We are in Nehemiah, which takes me a little while to find every week. We're doing chapters three to four this week so we last week we did chapters one to two um and so just to kind of summarize Nehemiah is uh one of God's people he's an Israelite he was in Persia where he'd been exiled and he hears about because we've just done Ezra and he hears about the temple in Jerusalem being reconstructed and he's really keen that a wall be built to protect the city God works through him, um, answers his prayers, and the Persian king blesses Nehemiah's desire to go and rebuild the wall. And Nehemiah goes back and kind of rallies the people to begin building the wall. And we're going to see this week um, the next part of that story. So he's headed back to Jerusalem. Uh, So can somebody, can one of you two, I'm here with Helen and Jill, by the way, can one of you two summarise what happens in chapters three to four chapter three is a lot of names of people who are all working hard together to build the wall so it's quite a hard read it's not a genealogy but it's it feels a little bit in that category in my mind in that there's lots of detail of who's building which part of the wall and I guess because I don't have a good geographical map of Jerusalem in my head it's quite hard to orientate yourself around but it tells us the specifics of which families are building which part of the wall all the way around the wall so that would be chapter three and then chapter four is where the opposition begins to this rebuilding and yeah it's just lots of different type of opposition um so there's these two guys Sambalat and Tobiah who are the ringleaders and they start off with negative taunts and then they the threats increase And so we see in chapter four how Nehemiah organizes the people to work when there's a significant level of opposition around them. So, yeah, Mm. that's a summary, I guess, of those two chapters. Great. Thanks, Jill. Could one of you two remind us why we, reading this like thousands of years later, why we care about the rebuilding of the wall like a long time ago? in Nehemiah because it's in the Bible isn't it and we know that that's important but sometimes I come to chapters like this and I'm like okay they're rebuilding a wall wow um what's that got to do with me can yeah can you one of you help us with that yeah I mean there's lots of different reasons why it was important that the walls were um rebuilt and why that's important for us today I mean for us today I guess it's a reflection of um how God keeps his promises Uh, how God promised to protect these Israelites and so he is assisting them to rebuild this wall we'll see that as we read through these next couple of chapters and you know that I mean on a very practical level we care about the rebuilding of the wall because if the walls were unfinished then the temple was unfinished and the Israelites were were defenseless and I guess it's um it's a picture as well isn't it the walls you know broken walls is um a reflection of a broken people and as the wall is being rebuilt it's a picture of how God is restoring Israel to what he promised them that they would be. Mm. Yeah this was quite a 
vulnerable period, wasn't it, in the history of God's people. And God has always promised through, like right from the beginning of time, hasn't he, to uh, preserve a people for himself. And I guess it's important for us to see that at some points that was in danger, but he still preserved his people um, right through until us, I guess, you know, through Jesus coming and then us. Um, So even though, yeah, sometimes we read these things and we're like, Oh goodness, that's a lot of people building a wall. Do I really care? But actually, it, <laughs> it is. It, it was really important to them, and it is part of like our kind of spiritual history. Yeah, and and the the idea as well of you know Israel have been really heavily persecuted. They've been taken into exile. It's been a really awful period, and it would be really easy for God's enemies to just be like just say you know what is who even is your god look at what's happened to you this is horrendous but actually the um and and maybe they might think that the israelite god has been defeated and is powerless but actually the the restarting of the building of the wall even after the recent um persecution that they've experienced that we'd have read about at the beginning of nehemiah is just a message to god's enemies Actually, God is never defeated. He is the victor and he will always win and he will always win for his people. And so mm. it's a, a good um, a message to God's enemies that they will never defeat him, really. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So let's look at chapter three first. So, yeah, you're right, Jill. It is a long when I read it first. I was like, really, we're going to study this. Um, but. So let's have a closer look at it because it seems quite repetitive, doesn't it? But can you pull out some interesting details? Like why why do you think there is this repetitiveness? Yeah. What what did you guys find in there that was helpful or encouraging? Um, I guess there's I think there's 40 different sections of the wall that is described to us. And but alongside of that, 40 different either family groups or people, individual people, or um, well, and it starts in verse one with the high priest. So you've got everybody in the community right from the high priest who would be the top dog right down to a man with his daughters um, all doing this together. And I guess that was the big picture encouragement for me, just that picture of unity of they're all united in this task of building the wall and so apart, there's one little section where some posh nobles in verse five feel like they're too good to do this and they refuse to stoop and get involved in this really practical, hard job. But apart mm. from that, there's it's just a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the unity of God's people together. Um, Nehemiah's obviously done a really good job of enthusing them of how important this is. And so, yeah, I guess we're in quite a diverse church and it's just it was just encouraging to my heart to see God's people at all different stages all different um professions different ages just working hard together being about God's business yeah and within that as well you know virtually nobody probably had much experience in building a city wall and so you've mm. not only got high priests and daughters working together to build a wall actually all of them were unskilled and yet they were still available and willing to be used and united I thought it was a beautiful picture of what community should be like what uh, we as church goers should be aiming for 
Um, and I really love the way that it's bookended. You know, um, verse one talks about Eliashib, the high priest, and then in verse five talks about the Tekoites, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. As in <laughs> that, yeah, they thought themselves too good. And but they, I was reading about this, and it literally means wouldn't bend their necks to what the Lord wanted them to do. And so mm -hmm. it's really an issue of submission. Like they were just so high and mighty, they wouldn't submit to what the Lord wanted them to do. So it's not just like we don't want to do what the Israelite leaders are telling us to do. It's we don't want to do what the Lord's telling us to do because we think it's unworthy of us. I thought that was mm -hmm. a bit of a warning, really, to all of us just to be careful. And when we're saying no to stuff, are we saying no because we think we're unworthy? Or do we think that we're saying no because we're not worthy as in we're not skilled enough actually this <clears throat> this chapter shows us that whether you are unskilled or you think you are too high and mighty for it it's it's all of it's a lie god calls god uses um, and it's our mm -hmm. responsibility just to be available yeah yeah that's really helpful because like i guess this wall building i mean in our lives right now i guess probably out of the three of us None of us particularly feel called to build an actual wall, but there are kind of spiritual parallels within our own lives to, you know, God God asking us to build things. Like, do you do you guys have any examples of how this kind of applies to us as a as individuals or as his people? Um well I guess building the church is like I'm married to a minister and so it's Jesus's church, isn't it? But I guess part of Paul's role is to try and build the church in this community um and so yeah I guess it's not but I guess in the New Testament the church is the the people isn't it rather than the building and so I think there's a shift when we get into the New Testament that God's people are the temple or the building and so actually building together building a community centered on Jesus is um I guess a big part of what Paul and I would see that we're doing in this community. I think from my point of view, Mary, I was thinking about it a lot more in terms of what our work is um, and in terms of serving. I think, you know, when Paul and I were considering going into our line of work, <clears throat> excuse me, we, are, we were both doctors um, working in the UK. And so there were mem family members and friends who were saying, you know, why why are you moving abroad and doing this thing? Like, why are you taking such a hit on income and social status? What is this about? And I think um, this passage just reminded me that actually it's about submission. And this is what we were being called to. And, and so we we needed to do it. Yeah. And then in terms of like unskilled or less skilled or different skills, you know, I'm, you know, you I'm a book editor. What on earth could I do in terms of um, working abroad as a Christian? Um, you know, there are things that you can do. It's not just, oh, this person does this amazing thing in our church and that's who we're going to send out. It's anyone could be used in any way. Mm, yeah. And I like the idea of like us as overseas workers, we we're still building the same wall. We're just a bit further away. And like, so we can like the same 
opposition and the same difficulties and the same good things like they apply to all of us and we're just kind of we're a team really aren't we and yeah you're right it takes all sorts you know we actually struggle overseas for people like who are good at admin to come out because they think oh I'm I'm not going to be useful overseas and actually uh, the field is crying out for people who are good at admin so if you're listening to this and you're good at admin then please go overseas and help all the workers who are struggling um yeah like it's it's really it's a team effort isn't it and it's it's it feels humble doesn't it to say oh I'm not good enough to be you know starting a toddler group or helping uh in this kind of ministry but actually it's 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 another type of pride isn't it and that's definitely something I struggle with and I I love that New Testament picture as well of the body and how actually we're, we're not all the same are we but that actually is brilliant for the building mm. because actually some of us are fingers some of us are you know actually God understands and knows and has designed it that we all have different skills and gifts but that they're all really essential for the building effort and so yeah you don't have to have a certain type of gifting do you to be useful like yeah yeah everybody was working together with their different skills okay so moving on to chapter four so jill mentioned that some opposition arises uh from these characters sanballat and tobiah is that right the ammonites so what do we learn about opposition like the nature of opposition from this chapter um i guess the first thing i realized was that almost you need to count on the fact that it's going to be there i think it's just really helpfully realistic is this chapter well even there's a tiny picture of it isn't it with those nobles that wouldn't bend the, wouldn't get involved in the last mm. chapter even though 99% of the um israelite population are on board there's that tiny little group that won't get involved. And then again, we just see that multiplied here where there's anger and frustration that this wall is being built so positively. And yeah, I I was quite interested by the progression. So it starts off in those first few verses with them just mocking and taunting them. Um, mm. And I, I guess if we're honest in the UK, that's as bad as it gets for us at the minute. You know, people often can have a little jibe about being a Christian or you don't really believe that or oh, how how can God have allowed that to happen? Um, so yeah, there's lots of that in those first five or six verses. Um, but then the, then the threats become more, in, more plots of actual ways that they're going to try and stop the building work. Um, mm. Yeah, the thing that I was really struck by all the way through is that I think we, we often either think well, I just need to pray about this or I need to fix it in my own, with my own abilities or my own strength. And I just think Nehemiah all the way through is such a brilliant example of both. So he has really practical suggestions where he gives people armour as they're building so that they can protect themselves. But constantly he's praying and committing the work to the Lord and it, he's trusting that it's the Lord that's going to fight for them and it's the Lord that's going to protect them. And I, mm. I just found that a really challenging, it's not either or, is it? It's both. I was struck in this chapter by how actually, um, you know, opposition really hasn't changed across the ages. Mm. Uh, you know, it's 
the techniques that they use at the beginning here, Sambala and Tobai, you know, ridicule, mocking, sarcasm. Like Jill said, we see it today, but also, and and I guess in some ways, you know, there's often a, a bit of truth in the opposition. So the things that um, Tobiah and Sambala are saying when they're being um, ridiculed, you know, actually the truth is that the Jews were weak at this time. I think they use, um, in the past, they use the word feeble or something like that. But, you know, that, that in fact was the case. They were incredibly vulnerable. Um, and so there, there there's often a trace of truth, truth in opposition, isn't there? But you know, just like the the devil in the Garden of Eden, it was suggestion. It was half truths. It was twist, twisting of truths. It was um, kind of mocking. Like God didn't really say that, did he? You know, mm. it's all these techniques. They really haven't changed across the ages. And actually, like Jill said, are uh, weapons against the opposition really haven't changed across the ages. It's mm. it is like Jill said. You know, prayer and and in this passage, we see them being watchful and careful and aware of the threat and dealing with it in a godly manner. I just love at those first five verses, you know, he brings the army along. He's, you know, so he's verbally threatening, but he's also creating a real physical threat of the presence of the army. There's a statesman with him and it is affecting the crowd. But then in verse six, Nehemiah just says, so we built the wall. And I just love the fact that, you know, they're throwing all they've got at him, but he's so focused on the task God's given that despite all that mocking, he's like, okay, thank you. Now we're going to do what God sent us here to do. And I just think it's which voice are you listening to often, isn't it? I think it's so easy for me to listen to the voice that's mocking or taunting or ridiculing, whereas Nehemiah is just so laser sharp focused, isn't he, on doing what God's asked him to do. And so it's just so understated, but so we built the wall. Like all these things happened. They were really mean and horrible and mocked us. And we got on with what God gave us to do. That was really helpful to my heart. Yeah. And I think, I think personally, some of the most discouraging opposition can come from within, kind of like you mentioned, Jill, with the, um, with the nobles who didn't want to join. And then again, we see, don't we, in verse 10, Judah so the tribe of Judah kind of says, oh, the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish. We're not able to build the wall. And sometimes like it's almost harder, isn't it? When people from within your, <clears throat> within the church um, or within your friendship group or something feels like they're also kind of coming against you sometimes. And sometimes it feels a bit like friendly fire, doesn't it? Um, but like, I feel like, there's this thread, like you say, all the way through that this isn't, but even though Nehemiah is the one leading this and, you know, standing up against the opposition and encouraging the people, there's this sense, isn't there, that it's it's God's work and that he knows that. And so, yeah, so we carried on building the wall. Like it's not flashy. His response isn't super flashy. And, you know, then I did a miracle to show them how powerful God is. Like they just carry on building. It's like the plod, plod, plod of building the wall that gets it done the plod 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 isn't even easy is it if you look Mm. at the second half of chapter four you know in verse 15 he says that you know we each return we all return to the wall each to his work so they've been threatened with violence but they've still returned to the wall um but if you read the rest of that chapter it's 
it's not easy. In chapter uh, verse 21, we labored at the work. Half of the people held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not, okay, we're just going to pray and be watchful and then everything will be fine. Like there is serious hard labor going on and it must have taken a lot to mm. fight the lies that were being whispered continuously to them. I found mm. it really encouraging. I think especially working where I work most of the time, you know, violence is a very real threat. Um, and yet, and and like there are villages that are being burnt down in the country where I work in the West. They're burning down schools. Like you just don't find village schools on the border towns where I work now because extremists are burning them down. And yet the reports are that the church is growing. People are going into these villages and, and um, sharing and, you know, yeah, it's, I think we need to be mindful that it's easy for us to say, oh, we prayed and, you know, and it's plod, plod, plod. And we were watchful and God was protecting them. But the reality is, is it's still so hard. Mm. And sometimes there is significant cost to the keeping going. Mm, yeah. So do you feel like you know, I mean, Helen, you've already mentioned a bit about, you know, how this applies uh, in, in our lives or the lives of the people around us. But what what does opposi op opposition look like to us and our friends? Uh, when I started working in the National Hospital in the country that I'm working in, when my colleagues found out that I was a Christian, they didn't talk to me for about two weeks simply because they knew I was a Christian I mean no that's that's not true for the first the first day they didn't talk to me at all and then gradually about one person a day would talk to me for the rest of the couple of weeks mm. um I think it's a bit different here because I think in the UK the thing at the minute that feels really hard and toxic is the whole um gender <clears throat> sexuality to actually stand and hold a biblical view on god creates us even god creates us male and female um feels like a really that that's the place that the opposition seems to be the strongest at the minute because the other narrative is so strong and so pervasive that it's so hard to put a different view forward without being accused of being hateful so mm. yeah it, it feels like that at the minute is the most toxic place um for christians in the uk mm. and i think this applies on a personal level as well doesn't it when we're just you know just a simple uh lifelong task of building our faith like personally and how you know satan opposes that at every turn you know whether that's through um subtle ways of temptation and you know drawing us towards sin or whether it's through like really obvious ways of just blows that life deals us and we must be aware that this plays out on a personal level as well as a as a church level um like we are fighting a daily battle and I, you know there's a reason isn't there that there's uh, the spiritual armor stuff in Ephesians and just all the way through, like, be careful, be watchful. Um, you know, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, um, you know, because if as individuals we're under attack, then 
that's another way of getting at the church, isn't it? Um, and I guess I was I was struck by how in verse eight um, it talks about all of them. So this is talking about the people who are opposing. All of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And that's really, um, you know, so far it's been so united and orderly hasn't it like this person's building this thing and this person's building this thing and satan seeks to cause confusion and disunity um amongst the people and so we must fight against disunity amongst you know within the church because that is ripe ground for things to go wrong um because remember why like i was um it says in verse uh, 7 to 8 that they, they see the walls starting to be built. Why are Tobiah and Sanballat so afraid of these walls being rebuilt? Because they know what kind of place this used to be. They know that Jerusalem, that the God of these people is the powerful God. Like they know that. So they're afraid of that. You know, they know the history of these people. They used to crush nations, you know, with like not very many people and stuff like that. Like I know their history isn't great, but there is a lot of power that they would have known about. So they're afraid, aren't they? In that personal fight, verse 14 is so helpful, isn't it? Like what what mm. do we remember when we're fearful and those fears come to all of us in different ways, don't they? Um, yeah, the call from Nehemiah is remember the Lord who is great mm. and awesome. Oh. And then again in verse 20, that, that God who's great and awesome is the one that will fight for us. And I, yeah, I think when life's hard, the thing that's hard is great and awesome in our minds often, isn't it? Rather than remembering it's God that is, um, our good friend Linda always says, only God is awesome. If anybody mm. uses the word awesome for anything else, she'll be like, uh, 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 only God is awesome. But that's the fight to believe that, isn't it? In the middle of a hard situation or a hard challenge, that God is the awesome one, not the difficult situation. Yeah. I read a really helpful quote um, around verse 14 and 15 and that kind of thing. And it said, um, when we are under spiritual attack, it is easy to feel that we are just enduring this, that just enduring the storm is the victory. But it isn't. The attack often comes to prevent you pro um, your progress and work for the Lord. Victory is enduring the attack and continuing the progress and work for the Lord. And I, I just felt like it was a really helpful reminder that, yes, obviously, verse 14, we need to be reminding ourselves that there are these spiritual attacks going on. The spiritual realm is at work, these invisible things, like you said, Mary, and that God is defeating them, will defeat them, and that we are protected from them. But that, that we can't just rest in that knowledge. We need to use that knowledge and use that freedom and that protection we have to continue our work, just like the Israelites did here. Yeah, like it's it's that sense of God will fight for us. I think that's really important because it, it's not it's not the Israelites. It's not God's people that the opposition fears. It's actually God. Um, it reminds me of when um, when God's people want a king and Samuel is upset about it. And God's like, it's not you they're rejecting they're rejecting me and so like lots of our opposition that we get like at the end of the day we're yeah god's fighting this battle and we're just his his people kind of loving sacrificially so that his for his ends um not our own so do you do you kind of like in these chapters like we've talked about it a bit like 
there is this massive core solid core of god doing his work like what what do we what do we learn about god how can we personally be encouraged um by these chapters in our walk i I guess the thing that i find really helpful in this is that nehemiah is clearly a gifted guy he's a gifted leader and he's a gifted strategist but his confidence doesn't lie in those things his confidence lies in god and i think that's often the danger isn't it that we put our confidence in the wrong things um and yeah i just found this so encouraging that he does work hard and he does employ all his best strategies but his heart's resting in the god who will fight for him um and he's just get he, he's getting his hands really dirty his name isn't he at the end of the chapter you see that neither he nor his brother nor his servants took off their clothes they just they were at this day and night and that whole like you were talking about mary that the spiritual attack that we can be under can be fiercest at night can't it and actually that keeping remembering who god is and that he's strong and powerful and he fights for his people um helps us day and night doesn't it to um be wearing the armor and to be putting our confidence in god rather than ourselves I think for me, uh, I was thinking a lot about how uh, God's enemies were at this time were viewing the Israelite remnant and how they must have thought that God was nothing and that God's enemies had won and how faithful God is. You know, he when he promises to protect and save a remnant of Israel, he doesn't say nothing bad will happen. In fact, he's like, expect bad things to happen, but I am faithful and true and I will keep my promises. And here we can see that in action. And I thought it was really encouraging for me as I look at the church in the UK um, and and the church where I work, both of them, the church in the UK is really heavily under attack, isn't it? And 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 sometimes i think you can look at it in despair but we can see in this passage here that god has in this scenario god has kept his promise he promised that he would look after the remnant and rebuild the temple and we can look and therefore and this is just one example of a promise isn't it and so you can see throughout the whole bible over and over and over again god makes promises that are fulfilled and so i think it, it helps me to not despair when i look at the situation in the uk and in um, the country that I work in, I can hold on to those promises and say, God didn't promise that didn't promise that it wouldn't be hard. God didn't mm-hmm. promise there wouldn't be attack. He didn't promise that it would be easy, but he did promise that he is faithful and true. And mm-hmm. so that's, yeah, a truth that I think is was really helpful for me as I was mulling over these passages. Yeah, we often come back to when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it when we're feeling discouraged. Um, And yeah, you know, that's spoken by Jesus who comes a long time after this. So, you know, we know that God's people were preserved and then Jesus came and, and now there's us all over the world um, able to keep, keep on that kind of building. Um, So yeah, let's be encouraged. Let's encourage each other as well. I feel like, you know, yeah, I feel struck by that image of like us all being 
at different parts of the wall with all our different skills and how can we you know if we feel like another part of the wall is under attack in in this passage um there's a trumpet isn't there that they are going to blow when they're under you know if they come under attack and i love that idea that they will all run to each other to help each other when there's weakness so you know how can we do that practically um you know when we know that one of our um fellow workers is struggling how can we encourage them and run to them so yeah wall building a bit more interesting than first reading <laughs> cool thanks guys um do we know what we're looking at next week yeah next two chapters thanks a lot everybody for listening and we'll see you next week bye bye, bye.